Welcome to the Rain Podcast, where we empower women to understand what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm Melissa. And I'm Abby. We are your hosts. We love talking about what it means to experience clarity on your God-given mission. We hope to be an encouragement to you along your journey of what it means to reign as a strong disciple of the King in a world that is at war against what we believe. We want to walk alongside you and guide you in your day-to-day life as you experience every adventure and mission God has for you. Welcome back to another episode of Rain. We are so excited that all of you are back here today to talk about the topic of mission statements. So last week we talked about the why and the how of the mission statements. So today we just want to talk about putting those mission statements into action. So we are calling this podcast, You Are Enlisted, because now that you have crafted your mission statement, you are now enlisted as a soldier of Christ to live out your life on a mission. Hey guys, I'm so excited to have you back. Um can't believe how many months we've been doing this now oh it's crazy getting to cover so many different neat topics so yeah this month we want to talk all about what it means to be enlisted you have your mission your god-given mission the work you know that you've been created to do that you're passionate about that the why that you're here on earth uh, to bring heaven to earth and we're going to talk about being enlisted how do we get this mission statement that we've crafted into action. And the passage that I thought of was when the Apostle Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth. And he says that uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. He's telling the church there, don't you realize that in every race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? Mm -hmm. So run so that you win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we, as Christ followers, we do it for an eternal prize. Mm -hmm. So I, Paul, run with purpose in every step. I'm not just, oh yeah, I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And I just love that he uses real life analogy that if athletes are running in a race, everyone's running, but there is only one person that wins. Mm-hmm. And how do we run? How do we prepare? How do we train? How do we eat right? All of these things in order to win the race that's been set before us and to know that each person has been given mm-hmm. their own race. They can yeah. either do it well or they can not do it well yeah the opposite of well (laughs) and so like you know abby has done a lot of training for yeah for competitions Mm -hmm. and there's a difference of probably what your days look like when you're training and when you're not training very very big difference and i if i look at it that way it's really crazy how that analogy kind of like takes place is if we're training if we're preparing our hearts and our minds if we're immersing ourselves in the word and immersing ourselves in what god says that any like battle that gets thrown at us like we can overcome it because we of all of our training, just with like my volleyball too. When I train and when I practice and when I do my workouts, I'm doing that for my volleyball and I'm training and like I can't get good without that training. There's no way. There's no way I would still be in shape without that training. So it's cool to see how all that pays off. And I think we're all really excited as Christians to like watch all of our work like be paid off once we get to heaven and once mm-hmm. we see the outcome of our effects on people that we don't even know the lives that we've changed for some girls. And I think that's really, really cool. Mm, yeah 
Yeah. And so one of the ways that um, both Abby and I have experienced uh, putting our mission statements into practice and to like keep us in the game, keep us trained, it's so easy, especially in America, to forget about the mission of sharing the gospel because mm-hmm. um, Abby and I were talking earlier, like here in the States, we can put our trust in money. We can put our trust in our friends. Sports. Our sports. <laughs> <laughs> that can become our idol. Uh, and we have so many comforts that drowned out yeah. our need and our desperation for God and for that urgency in, in sharing the gospel. Yeah. And so being that we're 21st century young women in America living in such like a amazing time in history, mm-hmm. uh, we both have learned that going on mission trips have really kept us in the game. Yeah. Uh, when we go into a mission, like on a short-term mission trip, it's just amazing. Like some of the experiences that I've had is just seeing people living in, you know, such poverty. Yeah. And after, you know, coming back from a missions trip, and seeing their desperate need for God, their hunger for God, it helps me come home and be more uh, focused, more passionate about staying focused in what work God has for us than um, where it's so easy to get yeah. sidetracked. Yeah. Uh, so is there, you know, stories, Abby, that you, from like your missions trips that... Yeah, that's like exactly what I was going to say too. It's... Um... When I go on a mission trip, like, it's so cool to see how these people literally have nothing, and it's, we have so many things that distract us from God. It could be, like we were just talking about, like, it could be sports, it could be money, it could be wealth, it could be fame, it could be anything that distracts us from that, but in foreign countries and third world countries, like, the children there don't have anything, so Jesus is the only hope that they can hold on to, so to see that genuine beautiful hunger for God just sets me on fire again like gives me another drop of like wow like I'm blessed like in America like Christianity is like a choice you can choose to follow God because um we have so many other things to put our hope and our dreams into but like in a third world country like you just like immediately like fall in love with God no matter what it's kind of not really like I don't know I guess I don't know what I'm trying to say there more of it's not even it's not really a choice like, oh, maybe I'll pick it up, maybe I yeah. won't. It's like you can't survive without yeah. the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's word, mm-hmm. because Christians that are church planning in China, yeah. I mean, it's illegal there to have a church. Yeah. And so without, even though it's illegal, they still, they've experienced what life is like without Christ, yeah. and it's harsh and it's horrible, especially in a communistic country. Yeah. But... Um, it's not a choice anymore. Like yeah. there's no way to live other than fully following God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, what's cool to me. That's what speaks to my heart is just their hunger and their fire for God. And then it makes me like come back here and want to have like exactly what they have. But then it's so hard to keep like in America, there's just so many distractions. It's crazy versus, um, in a third world country. So yeah, that's basically, that's mm-hmm. just a recap again, but. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I just thought, I don't know where it is in scripture, but there was a point in like the early church history, the first century, when churches were exploding after Jesus left. Mm -hmm. It did say there was a time that there was peace, and yet the church still exploded, and it still grew. And a lot of times the church dies when there's peace, when there's not persecution, and Mm -hmm. the church thrives under persecution. 
So I've spent years kind of looking like, how do I, in a very comfortable culture and country that I live in, how do we stay enlisted in the mission that God's given yeah. us? And so, so simply by going on missions trips, it, mm-hmm. it keeps us alive and in the game. Um, I read a book um, that it's called Radical. It's by David Platt. Mm-hmm. And he had given a really neat, um, like five things to keep us on focus with God. Yeah. And he talked about um, one of the points was spending 2% of your time in another context. And so it was like 2% of one year, roughly fi- it figures out to be about a week. And yeah. he said, if a Christian, a follower of Jesus, could go into another culture, another context, for the work of the gospel, one week out of the year, it positively affects the 98% of the rest of your year. Yeah. So if like a year doesn't go by and you are... You know, every year you're spending one week in a poverty area, a place that people are hungry for the gospel. It's going to make us stay more focused, more mm-hmm. more on task here at home. And so after reading that, it really did um, challenge me to, like, what, what would that look like? How could I be going on a mission trip? You know, a lot of times, and I even thought this when I wanted to go on a missions trip, was... I want to go, I want to help them, like they're poor, we have so much, we can go help them. But really what I learned is two different things that happens with a missions trip. Um, When we are going there for just a week, we can't really change the world. We can think like, oh, we're getting prepped up for this missions trip. But really we're coming along, when you go on a missions trip, you're coming alongside the people that live in that community day in and day out. And that's a, a tiring job being a missionary. Mm-hmm. You know, you get tired, you get discouraged with the hard work there. So a lot of times a missions trip team that is excited, everyone's on fire, this isn't something they normally do. Yeah. They're coming alongside that team that's living in, you know, Honduras or Brazil. Mm-hmm. And you're just breathing life into them. You're encouraging them. You get to do projects that they don't get to do on their own. Um, but then really... Honestly, when you go on a missions trip, it's it's really changed me probably more than the, I, the change that I brought there. Yeah. The change that it did to me, it made me realize how good I have it here. I was in a country that it was illegal to share the gospel, and I met Christians who were out on the streets sharing the good news, even mm-hmm. though it's illegal there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I live where I'm not going to get arrested if I share the gospel. I'm not going to get arrested if I'm at Starbucks reading my Bible. But yet these people are out on the streets and they're risking everything. Mm -hmm. So it really brought me home and realized how much I took for granted the freedom that we have here. Um, So it's really, those are the two things. Like you're going to help encourage the people that are on the ground, but really it's changing my view, my perspective of living Mm -hmm. all the other days here to be more intentional with my neighbors and the work that God has for me to do here. So that's kind of, you know, been my experience with the mission trips. Is there anything else you wanted to add on? No, I thought that was good because that's something that really, really amazes. I say really, really one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That amazes me that there's some countries out there that it's literally like illegal to serve our God. So I think that's so cool. And that just puts a new like fire in my faith as well is, it's illegal in some countries, so, like, they don't have a choice. Like we were saying, they're like, they don't have a choice to, like, 
choose if they want to serve God today or like if they want to read their Bible today, maybe like it's illegal for them and they still choose it. So in America, (laughs) it's awesome that it's a free will choice over here. And that just like brings a new fire and like a new mindset in my head that when I'm reading my Bible, I should read this as like, this is illegal in some places, but Mm -hmm. I get the joy and the freedom in America, thank God, to read my Bible and open up and just explore God's word without having to feel any pressure that I'm going to get arrested for reading it. So I just think that's so Mm -hmm. rich and really cool. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so easy sometimes, like when we've come, both Abby and I have come back from mission trips, you're on fire for what you've just experienced. You're pumped up. You come home and, um, you know, you're talking to people and they're excited to hear about your trip, but they're not as like pumped up as you are. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a passage that I read in the book of Nehemiah that's really helped me take what I learned from my mission trips and um, apply it back here at home. And in Nehemiah, he was serving, I don't even know what king he was serving. He was serving he was somewhere serving else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not in his homeland of uh, Israel. And he had heard from messengers that the city was in ruins that um, people had come in, set the city on fire, tore down the walls, and at that time, every city was fortified. It had walls and gates to protect it and so that it could be a thriving, safe place for a family to live. Kind of like what happened in our country this past year. (laughs) I'm saying this. Wow. Seems very similar. And so Nehemiah, um, in chapter 3, is kind of the main focus of it, but basically... Nehemiah hears the poor state that not only his city's in, but his family's from there, his friends. And he just was in such mourning. The king had noticed, what's wrong, Nehemiah? And he said, how can I be joyful when my city lays in ruins? And the story of Nehemiah is just so amazing how he went back home to his home country. And in chapter 3, it says that Nehemiah went out at nighttime to just survey the... um, the walls and the gates that had been burned down and broken. And he basically went around, he made a list, he saw the work that needed to be done, he saw what a a dangerous place that the city was in. They were open and vulnerable to more attacks from the enemies. And so Nehemiah, he brought together very trained builders, woodworkers, probably people that worked with stones, Mm -hmm. iron workers. And what was so neat is that he didn't, bring in a crew to come in and rebuild the city. Nehemiah specifically knew to go... I'm just going to open up to Nehemiah. He specifically knew that he needed to assign people that lived in the city because if he brought someone from outside the city, their passion, their connection, their heartstrings to the city wouldn't be... the, the passion wouldn't be there. Yeah. And so he went around and he went to each heart that was broken and went to the family that lived across from the broken wall and so he went knocked on the door and said I've seen that your city is in ruins this is the work that needs to be done I'm commissioning you and it would be uh, different families it would be the the priests Um, basically it goes through in chapter 3 and it says he went uh, to Jedediah and commissioned them to rebuild the wall across from his own house. Even it says that he went to the house of warriors, which could have been like David's mighty men. He went to the house of warriors and he said, 
the gate's broken right in front of your house. You guys are commissioned. You need to rebuild this. Yeah. And so the basically the revelation that God showed me was that um, when he tells us to go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel, the ends of the earth and like sharing it to all nations, that we, that we live in America, we live amongst a nation with people in it. Our neighbors, mm-hmm. they uh, consist of, let's see, losing my train of thought here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, our neighbors, our friends, like the lady who checks us out at the store, the barista who makes your coffee, they are people that live in a nation. Yeah. And Nehemiah knew that it's where we have the skin in the game. So it's amazing to go across the ocean to share the gospel. Yeah. But really what it does is it reignites us to come back home and share the gospel with our neighbors, mm-hmm. with our family members, with um, the male lady, like when you get to visit with her. Yeah. And to see that he... Then the, the city was rebuilt and it was thriving and growing again because people were living on mission. They were being enlisted mm-hmm. to do work right in their own neighborhood. That's good. And it really takes it from it's easy to go share the gospel with maybe with people you don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it does get a little bit harder when it's someone that you see every day. It's like, oh, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Or what if they're not ready? Or. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these things we can work ourselves up. Yeah. Um, but to really just be praying about those who God's put in your inner circle yeah. and to take that, that mission statement and bring it into reality. So I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really rich. I I love that too because that's kind of like leads into what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk about on the roadblocks that we kind of experience as Christians, like when we start to serve, like how Melissa was just saying about how like when you know someone, like you might just be like, oh, she might judge me, like she might not accept my prayer or something. So I just wanted to talk about some of the roadblocks in our minds that we have before we mission, even in our own nation here, even if it's the male lady right next door, some of the roadblocks that you might experience, because some of the biggest reasons why people don't live out their life on mission for Christ is because of one of these mental roadblocks that I'm going to talk about. Mm. So the first mental roadblock is one of the biggest ones for me as well. Even though I don't really have much of a bubble, I'm kind of a, (laughs) I don't, I think someone popped it a while ago. (laughs) I don't got one no more. But the first is being our bubble. So like as humans, we love our bubble. We love our comfort zone, doing the same thing every week with the same people. Like that sounds really, really nice, right? Like that's what everybody loves, routine. But what if I told you that God didn't call us to pour out on the same exact people every single week at a church service? Mm. So in Acts 13, 47, Luke writes, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Mm. So to make this a little easier kind to understand, I'm going to use one of my own favorite analogies that I created a little while ago. And so I'm going to have you think of it like a lighthouse. So a lighthouse can only shine its light on the same exact location every single time. Like it's not going to go anywhere else because obviously like it's planted there, it's not going to move. But if now let's take a lantern. A lantern gets carried by a person into the depths of the earth because that's where light is needed the most because of the darkness that lies within. As Christians, we aren't called to shine our light on the same exact people at a Sunday service each week. The church was meant to leave the building, not stay inside of it, mm-hmm. to not stay confined yes. to, the only, to its walls that it has. We aren't called to serve the righteous because the righteous are already saved. We should be attracted to the same exact people Jesus was attracted to. That's the lost, the hurting, the broken, the damaged, the people in need of salvation. So as Christians, we should be scared of comfort and complacency 
because real growth happens when we step out of our comfort zone. So sometimes those people don't lie within our comfort zone. We need to be a lantern and not a lighthouse and go shine our light for all to see. So even if it's in our own nation too, like what Melissa was just talking about, even that, like the male lady who just comes by too, if we stay in our comfort zone of just ministering to the people in our church, that's not helping anybody because they're already, I mean, obviously I'm not saying that doesn't help anybody. (laughs) That's amazing that you can go minister to them too, but they're righteous. They're already saved by the word of God. They already have their heart poured into Jesus. They're already written in the book of life. They're already going to heaven. So the people we need to save are the people out there who lie within the darkness that we need to bring our light to. Such a good analogy. (laughs) I just love it. Um, So if it's not your bubble that is stopping you, it might be fear. So fear is like the second um, thing that I wanted to talk about that's a huge roadblock because fear is Satan's playground. Satan will manipulate any truth that God is trying to tell you because that is the one thing Satan loves. So fear is what can stop us from reaching our goals. It can cause us to stop right before we reach the finish line. Satan uses that fear to try to rob us of our purpose. He knows you are on the edge of the change, changing the world. So of course he's going to try to stop that change from happening. So letting go of fear and listening to the truths in God's word can be one of the hardest challenges that Christians can face. It's so hard to not listen to what the world says, to what social media says, to what beauty guidelines say. It's so hard to not listen to all those things that are constantly in our life 24-7 and to start listening to the truths in God's word. So that's where we know how, in the end, we know God is always, always the ultimate winner. One verse that has helped me with understanding the fear and trusting God over Satan's lies is in the book of Joshua, in chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. In the Bible, it states exactly, 365 times to be exact. Wow. I think it's <laughs> the is, most like most used. Yeah, I know, I think Bible. it is. I looked it up and that's, that's what it awesome. said. And I was like, what? <laughs> so that's crazy to me mm. because if God is saying something 365 times, I think he's trying to make a point there. There's one for every day of the year. Every that's nuts. So every day of the year you should wake up with a sense of do not be afraid because the Lord God tells us every single day apparently for 365s, do not be afraid. So wow. we have nothing to fear when the Lord God is on our side. And so one big way to stop that fear is to immediately immerse yourself in God's truths. Immediately mm. go to the word whenever you're starting to fear fear of, oh, should I like not talk to that person because I'm, oh, she just doesn't seem like she'd want to listen to the Bible. No, go minister to that person. Listen to God's truths in the Bible. Go listen to what he says about if you don't think you're worthy enough to talk to that person, if you don't think you're Christian enough to go talk to a person, if you don't think you have the right words to talk to a person, that's Satan's lies stopping you from changing somebody's life potentially. So I think that's awesome how we need to go to the word whenever we feel attacked because I can promise you that God will take care of the rest if you put everything in him because we can trust in the one person in this world and that is God, the man, the G. <laughs> that is so neat. And to just, I, isn't there a song that says like fear is a liar? Yep, I think, fear is a freaking liar. We don't like fear. Oh, it blows things out of proportion. It We create like scenarios in our head yes. that get us so worked up about things. And it's all Satan just messing with you. He's literally, you're not going to let Satan play with you like that. Come on. You are stronger than that girl. Or whoever's watching this. But, yeah. 
Yeah. I thought that was a really good lesson is that there's so many things that try to stop you in the world, but we should really take that as an encouragement as, wow, someone is trying to stop me from, like that quote about how Satan trembles when, like, he should tremble when you wake up and step mm. out of your bed in the morning because he knows you're about to change the world that day. So that's how we should wake up every single 365 do not fear days in the, in the, <laughs> in the year. So I thought that was really rich oh. and cool. Thank you, Abby. That is just such great analogies and personal experience and how you've um, just the stories of seeing you going on mission trips mm-hmm. and having the heart for missions and be, reaching the ends of the earth, whether mm-hmm. that's overseas or whether yeah. that ends of the earth means stepping out of our comfort zone yeah. and just talking to the girl sit next to you in class or mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that is wrapping up what we wanted to talk about this week and just being enlisted as a soldier and as a daughter of the king. So be, we just encourage you to be praying this week and thinking of what that means for you in your personal life being enlisted. So just imagine if Nehemiah were to come knocking at your door and told you your city is broken, your neighbors are hurting, there are people out there in your community who don't know the gospel. What would that look like on a weekly basis according to the mission statement that God has given you? Are there commitments in your week or routine that need to be added or subtracted um, so that seven days don't go by without you living out your mission statement? Uh, So the next podcast, we're going to be sharing stories from our own life of uh, the changes that we've made in our personal day-to-day walk that reflect the lifestyle that's fulfilling the mission God has us on which in return infuses our days and our weeks with the same purpose and excitement, just as if we came back from a missions trip. We just thank you, God, that each day is a gift from you, and it's full of hard work, but yet it's fulfilling in Mm -hmm. God and the work he has for us. So thank you guys for joining us. Yeah. We'll we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Yeah, Bye. bye.